Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God for his word and for this morning being able to gather together. We always begin our worship with God's word as he is the one who condescends himself and initiates worship with us. He does that with our time together this morning and he does it also in our individual lives and he does it throughout scripture. And so a call to worship is a reminder that God is the one that he initiates with us. Well, good morning. Again, it is wonderful to be here with you this morning, wherever you may be gathering. And um, if you are online with us live right now on YouTube, if you could just say hello in the chat over there um, on the side uh, or below, however it is showing up on your device, whatever you're using. I know a number of folks, over 70 folks are meeting together in home groups and uh, just want to say hello to everyone and excited to see your names, even though we're not necessarily seeing your faces. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we begin our time together. Pastor Tommy really hit this last week on Thursday um, on five, at 5 p.m. is when his updates come out. So this last update that Pastor Tommy uh, made, he let us know that we are going to have in-person worship services at 10 a.m. on Sunday, November 8th. That's this coming Sunday and also on Sunday, November 29th. And the session is going to meet the second Thursday of the month and uh, talk about what our December schedule might look like as well. Um, and for those of you who are not going to be able to come in person, don't worry. We're still going to continue to provide uh, these YouTube online gatherings for us as well. And we'll be doing so in person when we have the in person and also the online as well at the same time. Uh, the only other announcements I have is just basically, please let us pray for you. Uh, there's a link in the, in the chat and down below. Uh, please give us the opportunity to pray for you, whether you're a believer or not a believer. We would love to do that. We still gather together as staff on Zoom and pray. We still send out the prayer request and pray together as a believing community. Uh, and we hope that you'll give us the privilege to do that. Now today we continue in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Every Story Whispers His Name. And last time, uh, Pastor Tommy shared about David and Goliath. And this time we're going to move forward in the story. But I thought I was reading um, Acts chapter 13. And it gives kind of a good little summary leading us up to where we are today. So let me read for you. Uh, this isn't the passage that we're going to focus in on. In fact, um, if you have your Bibles, let me just go ahead and tell you, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, sorry, chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12. But again, this nice little summary in Acts chapter 13, verses 17 through 22 about where we've been so far. Uh, and this is the apostle Paul saying, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So that's where we catch up today. David was the king of Israel. And he was, as the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. But what we read about today is the aftermath of one of David's greatest mistakes, one of his greatest sins. And I think we all know this story of Bathsheba and Uriah and David. Um, but before we go into it, let me just give, give a warning. This is a little more gritty than some of the other parts of the Bible. In fact, if you're reading the storybook Bible, the way that they explain it to kids is they say, David did some terrible things, and he even murdered a man, and then that's all they say about it. We're going to go a little deeper today. But his choice to murder a man, to commit adultery, and in the way that he did it is, is especially uh, sinful and depraved, and especially for someone who is described as a man after God's own heart. So just, I know you know the story, but so just to summarize it briefly, David one day, King David, man after God's heart, is sitting on top of his palace, and he is looking down on top of the rooftops of the surrounding homes, and on one of those homes is a woman named Bathsheba who is taking a bath close by. And so he looks over and his eyes linger there and decides that he is liking what he sees. And so he calls for her. He sends his servants over, brings her over to the palace, and he sleeps with her. What's worse is, is not just a little discretion that takes place, but she ends up getting pregnant. And so David, uh, the problem is compounded. And so David gets worried, of course, that he is going to be discovered what he has done. Um, and I know this goes without saying, but uh, you are not supposed to do that. You are not supposed to sleep with other men's wives. And so David, being very tricky and wise and cunning, calls up Uriah, who is one of his core um, army compatriots, and I've never been in the military, clearly, um, but there's a special bond that is formed when you go to war, when you are in battles, when you are um, in the thick of it with somebody. And so it's especially uh, a special betrayal of David to this special warrior Uriah. So David calls Uriah home from the war front, and, and tries to convince Uriah, hey, I uh, just wanted to say hi, just wanted to check in, see how the war is going. Why don't you go sleep with your wife? Uh, no, you know, why don't you just go have a nice night? Uh, you guys have some wine, have a nice date night. You need that every once in a while. Uh, but his trick doesn't, doesn't work because Uriah uh, has a heart and he feels guilty that he's gotten to come home while all of his... Um, brothers in arms are still out there fighting the war. So he says, this just wouldn't be right for me to go and enjoy the comforts of home. And so David's plan is not working. So David takes it a step further as he gets more and more entangled in this sin. And what he decides to do is, is really unthinkable. 
He puts Uriah on the very, very front lines. And so they, he, he tells the commander, basically, to do this to Uriah. So Uriah goes back out to the war front. He's on the very front lines. Um, they, are, they are in the thick of battle. And the commander does what David tells him to do, which is they all withdraw from the battle. And Uriah, not being included in, is not told, is left there and is killed um, and dies in battle because of David's orders. How is it that David, a man after God's own heart, could do such a thing? He saw the facts. Plain as day, he knew what was going on, but he was also blind in a sense. He was blind to what he was doing and what he had done until the prophet Nathan came to speak to him. And that is the passage I want to focus in on today. Again, this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. I really encourage you, open your Bibles, pull up the passage on your phone or your laptop, your computer, whatever, whatever it is. This is 2 Samuel um, chapter 12, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 7. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore to the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now before we examine David's change of heart as a result of this encounter with the prophet Nathan, as a result of this encounter with the word from the Lord, let's look at how David saw things how he was blind, so to speak. How was it that he was justifying his actions, a man after God's own heart, before the prophet Nathan came into this picture? It's interesting that David doesn't realize what he's done wrong or the, the gravity of what he has done. It's clear that David, King David, knew God's law. Just listen to last week. Uh, An incredible story of David and Goliath, man after God's own heart, filled with faith, saying, how can we let these Philistines, these people who are not of the covenant, speak like that about our God and going out in faith in front of that? He knows God's word. He has faith in God. He knows God's law. If we look at our passage in verse 6, actually, David knows the law to the, to the point that in Nathan's story, 
um, David's punishment is to restore the lamb fourfold. And actually the law says in this scenario, you would have to reform restore twofold. And so in other words, David knows the law so well that he he is so incensed with anger that he's doubled the requirements of the law. If David can remember the law that tells you how much you're supposed to pay back someone if you kill his lamb, then surely David, a man after God's own heart, knows that murder is wrong, that adultery is wrong. The only thing we can say is that David didn't see it like that. What might he have been thinking? Well, if we look at the time in which David lived, he might have been thinking of what every other king thinks, what, frankly, many leaders today may think. He may have been thinking, hmm, kings of the earth have a right to take whatever woman they want. And this was true at the time of David. Kings had harems and many wives, as many uh, as they could support, and it was a sign of their wealth and their, their royalty. Not one other king would not have done what David did. In other words, if there was another king in any of the surrounding nations that saw a woman and said, I want that woman, he had the right as a king to take that woman. So David might have said to himself, there is not a single other king out there that would not just take any woman that he wanted to take as his own. So why shouldn't I? And we do that ourselves, don't we? Don't we say to ourselves, there's not a single other person in my community A single other person in my tribe that doesn't say, that doesn't do whatever it is that I'm trying to convince myself is okay to say or do. There are so many people that break the speed limit, so surely it's okay if I do. Everyone at some point is drinking to excess, so surely it's okay if I do. Everyone, without a doubt, takes office supplies from, the local, from their, their workplace and takes it home. So it's okay if I take a ream of paper home. Um, I'm not trying to pick on these particular sins, but these are things that we justify. We say everyone else does these things, so surely it's okay. We, by our nature, our sinful nature, blind ourselves to the truths especially when they are inconvenient to us, especially when they interfere with our lives, the way we're used to doing things, those truths that are inconvenient we become blind to. The first thing David said was, kings take whatever women that they want, so he justified his adultery. The next thing he said was, you know what, the commander-in-chief has the right to decide who fights on the front line. Every commander-in-chief, even to this day, can say which men and what strategies and where he wants to place his troops when they are at war. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? Again, David justifies his murder of Uriah. And don't we do the same things, right? I'm in charge of the family finances. So I can decide to buy this 
flower arrangement, or I'm in charge of the family finances so I can purchase a motorcycle. It's my right to do these things. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, again, to buy flowers, uh, and I'm not picking on anyone in particular, or to buy a motorcycle, again, not picking on anybody in particular, but it's imperative. It's imperative as a blind people that we have our eyes checked. If this can happen to David, can it not happen to you and I? Are we turning a spiritual blind eye to the places in our lives, to the overall pattern to which the facts clearly fit? And if we are, and the friends, the truth is there is some area in which we are all blind to, without a doubt. And if you are sitting at home and you're one of those folks who are saying, tapping your friend on the shoulder or your spouse, like, hey, you've got some blind areas, then you are maybe the most blind of all. What is it that is going to wake us up out of this blindness and out of our rationalizations? In David's case, it was a story from the prophet Nathan. It was the word of God coming to him. It was a story about a shepherd being told to David, a former shepherd. While it was easy for David to see the sin in the story, he had been blinded to the sin in his own situation. Nathan's story convicted David, and he saw from the same set of facts a new pattern. He saw his kingly right the thing that he had rights to, to claim as instead adultery. And he saw his right as a military commander as murder. The same way some of us might see a sexual relationship as harmless, while others see it as immoral or adultery. The same way some of us might see someone's anger as righteous anger, while others might see it as murderous anger. Let me, let's look at the, uh, this is a fun exercise. Um, let's look at this picture together. What do you see? If you are in a home group or others are gathered around, ask each other, what is it that you see when you look at this image? What's the first thing that you see? Did anyone see anything differently? It is both a rabbit and a duck, one of those fun visual images. It depends on your perspective, though they are the exact same lines, the same facts. We all see them black and white on the screen, and yet the pattern that emerges from those facts, those truths, is different for different people. Some of us can see a duck, and some of us can see a rabbit, until the truth is told to us and our eyes are open to the reality. This is true for David, right? He could see his actions as his right, his God-given right as the military commander and his right as king to do as he wanted. Or he could see his actions as murder and adultery. And this is true for us. We can see the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we post. 
we rationalize them as just and normal actions, or we can see our actions through spiritual eyes, the way God means for us as his people, as his children, to see things, as people who have been created to be men and women after his own heart. God works through the prophet Nathan. And while prophets sometimes in, the, in Scripture foretold the future, their main function was to speak God's word, whatever it was. It was to be truth-tellers. David, through his truth-telling, through hearing God's word spoken to him, has his eyes opened. And his response, once his eyes has been opened through the hearing of God's word, through the hearing of the truth from someone trusted and close to him, was to repent with all of his heart and turn back to God. And just let me remind you, friends, we preach the gospel of grace here every single Sunday that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, that, that God, through Jesus Christ, will forgive you if we repent and turn back to him with all our heart. We get a glimpse of the depth of this repentance, this, not just this surface level, I'm sorry, and going on with life um, through this heart repentance in Psalm 51, which David writes, and he asks God to create a clean heart within him. I asked um, and our very own, very talented Rendell family agreed to, um, just I told them like a week ago when they were able to put this together, to just sing the psalm for us. Because I think music, and I, I, I'm not a huge musician, but I think music, I think worship conveys emotion in a way that is different. And the poetry and the songs and the prayers of the psalms portray the heart of David in this moment after he is convicted in Psalm 51. And I encourage you, this first time, the words will be there, and I'm actually going to post this song along with the other songs that the, um, the worship team has put together for you as a home group or as a family or even as individuals. Uh, the link to that is, is um, I'm going to share that with you as well, but you can go back later and sing this together if you want to, but I encourage you now, just in the moment, listen to the words Try and, and relate and understand and feel the depth of emotion that David was feeling when he was convicted of this and as he, he wrote this poetry and as he sang this song from the depths of his heart. Psalm 51.
how do we gain spiritual eyes like David? How do we discover the areas of our own hearts that are not clean so that we can cry out like David does, create in me a clean heart, O God? One way that we get new eyes, that we can see rightly, is by wearing the lenses of Scripture. It means that we see the world around us through a particular worldview. We see circumstances and um, the narrative of the world, the narrative of the nation, the narrative of our lives through the story and the narrative of Jesus and God. And like a wonderful tapestry, ask how is it with the story of God that we are and these other places in our world are being weaved into that overall story. And we look at that through scripture. We let that be our filter. We let those be like glasses for those who cannot see that brings everything into focus. We have to know the Word of God inside and out. It has to reside deep within our hearts so that we are confronted by God's Word in our day-to-day -day actions, that when we have conversations with people and they confront us on it, we can hear the echoes of what they are saying in Scripture. And we allow God to speak to us in that way. We must marinate and meditate on God's word day and night. As I say in my devotionals on Tuesdays, we have to spend time with Jesus. Listen to him if we seek to be his disciples and to be transformed into him more and more each and every day. We have to spend so much time in God's Word that your everyday circumstances and questions remind you of the stories and teachings of the Bible so that it can be applied to those situations. There was a study done a number of years ago. I think it, it was the a Reveal study. I don't remember the name of the study, but they basically polled uh, thousands of churches. And they found that the number one way that people grew in their faith, that they grew in discipleship, that they had spiritual growth and fruit in their lives, that they became people who could see and discern rightly, was based not on the number of programs that they were a part of of their local church. It was not based on the number of, of Sunday worship services that they attended, but it was based on the amount of time that they spent in the Word of God the amount of time they let the scripture sink down deeply within them and let that become the framework through which the lenses through which they would see the reality around them. Everything must be examined through scripture. God speaks primarily through his word, but God also speaks through fellow believers. He speaks through other people that are in our lives and that we have allowed intimately close enough to us to speak truth to us. We need to surround ourselves with truth tellers like Nathan. And friends, let me just tell you, that is generally not what we want to do. In my experience, the truth tellers in the church, the prophet types, the people in our lives that speak the truth are usually the ones that are the first to be ejected from our communities. 
if the people that surround us only and always tell us what we want to hear or what we expect, then it is unlikely that we will ever, ever see the places that we are blind to in our hearts and in our lives. It may be difficult, but surround yourself with truth-tellers. Finally, in order to see right, we have to do more than know Scripture. We have to do more than surround ourselves with truth-tellers. David knew the law. David knew God's Word. Are you kidding? He lived a life devoted to God, but he was still blind in this spot. There has to be something more. We have to have new eyes, new hearts. A miracle has to occur. The blind must be made to see. There's a reason why that verse resonates so well across the board in amazing grace. I was once lost, but now I see. We are made to see, healed of our blindness, being made new by the Spirit through the blood of Jesus. John 1, 9, which speaks of Jesus, says the true light, who is Jesus, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He and he alone is the one who brings us out of darkness so that we can see. And more importantly, he heals our blind eyes so that we can even think about beginning to see things rightly. Now, shining light in someone's face, as I alluded to earlier, um, will not get you many friends. Think about it. If you have lived your entire life, if you and I have been living in caves our entire lives with our eyes sewn shut, if there are parts of our lives that we are spiritually blind to, one, friends, there's a reason that we keep convincing ourselves to not look there. We see through the facts, but we are unable to see the pattern through the lens of Scripture. It is going to be incredibly painful when we try to shine light in those areas. Just like when someone flicks on the bright lights and you've been sleeping, it is painful. But isn't it much better to walk in the light than in the darkness? So to see, we have to look through the lens of scriptures. We have to surround ourselves with truth tellers and we have to pray to God a difficult prayer, a prayer that I, my friends, am sometimes afraid to pray because of the pain that it will bring. We have to pray to God, to the light of the world, Jesus Christ, enlighten me, open my eyes, open my heart, Open my mind, though it may be painful, to the dark areas of our lives, so that then, like David, we can repent, turn to God, and ask that he make our hearts clean. Amen and amen. Let us, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray the difficult prayer now. We pray that you would be active in our hearts. Open our eyes now. Give us 
a hint of those places that we are afraid to look, the places where we don't want to hear the truth. Help us to remove the log from our eyes that we may see clearly and rightly so that we might be in love with you all the more and so that we might then truly point people to you, point people to love you and to come home to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time in the service, we usually call for the offering. And as someone who watches the finances, let me just say, in this time of upheaval, of turmoil, thank you for your incredible faithfulness. That the staff who are here don't have to worry about whether or not we need to find other jobs, that we can continually faithfully proclaim the gospel, that our ministry partners, our missions um, have been more than supported, uh, supporting them at higher levels than we ever have before because of your faithfulness. Uh, We thank you for that and ask that you continue to consider us, especially as we come around to the end of the year and as we begin to have more and more in-person services. A profession of faith today, I encourage you to say this together, uh, comes from the Scots Confession. This is chapter 12 uh, called Faith in the Holy Ghost. And we're just going to read the first part of it rather than the whole thing, but I encourage you to say this together with me. Our faith and its assurance do not proceed from flesh and blood. That is to say, from natural powers within us, but are the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, whom we confess to be God, equal with the Father and with his Son, who sanctifies us and brings us into all truth by his own working, without whom we should remain forever enemies to God, and ignorant of his Son, Christ Jesus. For by nature we are so dead, blind, and perverse that neither can we feel when we are pricked, see the light when it shines, nor assent to the will of God when it is revealed, unless the Spirit of the Lord Jesus quickens that which is dead, removes the darkness from our minds, and bow our stubborn hearts to the obedience of his blessed will. Friends, thank you again for joining me. Looking forward to seeing you next person, whether that's online here on YouTube or whether it's in person at 10 a.m. here uh, at New Hope. Next week, Pastor Tommy is going to continue. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5, a little servant girl and a proud general. Let me end um, with with this from page 135, the last page of the Storybook Bible from our, from our story. You know, David was a man after God's own heart, and yet even David failed. And we know that Jesus came because no one was able to fulfill the law. No one was able to be perfect, and so he came to do that for us. So the Storybook Bible ends like this. Another shepherd was coming a greater shepherd. He would be called the good shepherd. And this shepherd was going to lead all of God's lambs back to the place where they had always belonged, close to God's heart. As you go forward from here, may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen.